Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us today at this LinkedIn Live, Managing the Macro for Banks. Across the globe, banks are facing a turbulent economic climate. The looming recession and rising interest rates mean the financial institutions are under pressure to find new ways to cut costs and boost productivity. Banks have a huge opportunity to invest in deeper modernization, to emerge stronger with increased competitiveness, robust cybersecurity, and ecosystem partnership. My name is Prakash Patney. I'm Managing Director for Financial Services Digital Transformation at IBM, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Dan Butler from Virgin Money and Paul Ballard from Nationwide. Together, in the next 20 minutes or so, we'll explore how technology is being used to weather the storm and to deliver increased capabilities. But before we get into our discussion for today, I wanted to let you know there is an opportunity at the end of this session for Q&A. So please feel free to comment below and ask us any questions you may have. We'd love to hear your thoughts and queries, so please do join in. Let's get started. The turbulent macroeconomic climate or environment means it is critical that banks respond rather than react with infrastructure that allows for agility and cost containment. With this in mind, what technologies have you seen make the biggest impact? And maybe I'll come to you first, Dan. Thanks, Prakash, and thanks for having me on today. So I think cloud technology as a whole is a real great platform for when we start to think about agility and cost control. It's a real platform provider for being able to scale out and scale down and up as we need to in a very agile way, but have full cost control over it. I think that hybrid multi-cloud in the concept of that takes us slightly further. It kind of starts to allow us to think about delivering workloads across SaaS, public and private cloud, and even some of the on-prem services that banks tend to have. And think about where we put each service and each uh, workload, depending on the use case, in the right location. Furthermore, I think that, you know, we've seen a lot of concerns about what happens if something goes wrong, but we can have that level of control with the agile way that we can use cloud going forwards. So it's a real enabler for banks in the future and right now. And I think just on the cost point for me, I would say that if we think about the ability of insight that uh, hybrid cloud gives us when it comes to cost, it's really useful. We can go from a real strong high level macro view to quite a low level component micro view and really start to plan and govern that cost control that really banks need to be visible to at every layer. So for me, it's a no-brainer when it comes to the ability to be agile and have a cost framework that fits for banks going forward. Thanks, Dan. What about you, Paul? What are, what are your uh, perspectives on this? So I completely agree with Dan around the cloud coin. For me, there's sort of three things really that, that I would focus on. Obviously, Dev, DevOps, in terms of agility and um, releasing software to, to ultimately your customers to manage their financial lives better. Clearly, DevOps. Um, but yeah, that that story's been around for a while about how automation through the software development lifecycle will, you know, drive pace, drive um, greater reliability in terms of not, not making manual configuration changes, but making you know automated changes. I think that goes a step further now because um, certainly in complex regulated environments, you know, lots of processes, lots of controls, lots of um, you know guardrails as we would call them to to adhere to. Um, and that that can, if you're not careful, generate lots of um, you know ch- checkpoints going into committees to ask for sign off and so on. So for me, agility comes from actually codifying the policy into the into the pipeline, so that rather than having to you know g- 
get an engineer to go out to talk to somebody to attest, you know, through PowerPoint or documentation that they've hit a standard. It's actually engineered into the pipeline, and you know, you've got, you know, you've got basically pace, but you can also then have a much stronger audit point about the controls you've been through. So, DevOps a key one. Um, integration. If, if you're anything like probably most of the banking organisations around the world that have grown up over time, complex set of systems of record channels, channel systems. If you've got your integration architecture clean and simplified, the dependencies between your projects of what you're delivering and reusing just drops off, you know, drops off substantially. And then your, you know, the whole development, the reuse of APIs, the testing effort, I, th- I think that's a real, you know, a real focus in terms of ultimately delivering um, largely digital experiences to members. Um, and the final one is uh, anything that instruments the organization. And what I mean thereby is, you know, a lot of t- how can you make quick decisions about where to prioritize your work, you know, what the requirements are for a customer, you know, what's best for a colleague, if you haven't got the data about how your organization's um, working. So I think, you know, it'd be IT observability tooling that, that would really give you insight into how your operations running so you can cut down things like uh, mean time to recovery because the, the automation tells you where the problem is through to understanding how your members are interacting in your channels or customers, members in our case, uh, I, I think the more data you've got to understand how your operation is actually running, the more agile you can be because you're, you're zoning on the right thing to do, but based on data rather than opinion or gut instinct. Great, thanks, Paul. Uh, I mean, a couple of points that just really resonated with me. One was really around the hybrid strategy. We're seeing more and more clients, and we've done some surveys recently which said that's become the predominant strategy now. Very few seem to have a single cloud strategy. And I think clients are moving to wanting to leverage the best of the capability they have rather than sort of throwing things out and starting again. So definitely see that. And then to your point, um, Paul, also seeing a lot more interest in this codification of, of controls. We've seen that as a real impediment to people moving at speed when they don't have that um, to the cloud and often not being able to move as much as they may have wanted, you know, when they wrote their initial business plan. So those two are definitely uh, resonating with me, at least in terms of the conversations I'm having. Just moving on, in addition to the, the critical need to stay competitive in a fast-moving marketplace, the financial services industry is witnessing ever-evolving customer behaviours. How can banks cater to these consumer expectations by embracing modernization? Maybe I'll come to you first, Paul, on this one. Paul, can you hear us? I think that's to me, Prakash, and I, I know the question, so I, I'd uh, be both breaking up a little bit. Um, so so I, I guess there's sort of... Um, a few things I think about here and one of them is linked to the previous point around you really have to understand how your customers are engaging with your organization so we're doing quite a lot of the work at the moment to look at our customers or members in our case are, you know engaging with our branch network what transactions they're coming in to use you know segmenting the the, the customer base so we understand you know what the digitally active customers are doing what they're coming to branch or what they're coming to the contact center for uh, and you know what they're self-serving for so really trying to understand what the um what the actual customer experience looks like and therefore where we've got gaps in our technology. So something that we could automate or provide for a digital channel that, that is, you know, driving volume into maybe the branch and, and rather than having a customer go to a branch, you know, really prioritizing that work in our digital backlog. So that's an extension of kind of the data point. The second one is just being really good with your data. And, and you know, we've all had experiences of, you know, outside financial services using um, using platforms, be it retail or, or, or whatever, where you know the, 
the, the the data that you've got about yourself and and you know the, the kind of prompts and expectations type stuff is really powerful and increasingly you know I think it's beyond that now the financial services industry is being compared to the other sectors and for me it's all driven by the quality of your customer data and the insights you can provide somebody to make their financial lives easier and and I think it's going to move increasingly more to sort of proactive banking whereas if if I've got an event that the bank knows about that is going to affect my finances rather than me getting told after the event and you know penalized or or the like I'm prompted by the bank digitally beforehand so that I you know and that's where these sort of AL and M you know AI machine learning comes in where you know it's almost like my personal financier so I think that's the technology that will drive that around that you know having rock solid customer data and having then the analytics and insight that really help me as a customer um, manage my life better without me having to go to the bank. The bank almost comes to me. So I think they're the two. And obviously underwritten by experimentation and just, you know, tr- trying things out and you know, kind of test and learn type approach. Thanks for that, Paul. Well, so Dan, what about yourself and what are your insights in this space? Yeah, I, I think picking up on what Paul said, it's particularly important that the consumer is going to be at the heart. I think traditionally, when we think about banks, um, it's been core business hours, batch overnight. We've had a situation where if you wanted to bank, you had to go in and do banking on the banking terms. And I think as time has moved on, particularly since smartphones, what we've seen pull out with COVID, it's clear that banks need to be able to provide that secure, regulated and controlled environment. It needs to be super available. It needs to start meeting a level that I think Paul touched on, competing with other vendors and applications that banks just haven't been used to in the past. And we're seeing our applications and services that we provide on a par with always on types of consumer uh, consumption. And I think meeting that demand is certainly going to be the future for the banks that we have to step up. We have to be 24-7 available. But also, I think that way of tailoring to the individual customer based on the data that we hold is going to be key for us to really drive forwards with, start to offer personalized services and really go the extra mile for the consumer that makes it stand out. And, you know, what the difference is between one bank and another might literally fall down to how well we're using the data that we have in our systems and getting the most out of it. Thanks for that, Dan. I mean, I think just again from my point of view, and one of the things, one of the trends we've seen really has been around consumers wanting everything in real time, wanting to be frictionless and hyper-personalized. And as you both say, one of the key things to enabling all of that is is data. Um, and some of it is around workflows. So we have seen a real rethinking of workflows and combining that with automation. So, you know, moving away from in-person verification when you want to open bank accounts and wet signatures to digital identities that can be verified in in seconds. And some of the things that you spoke about um, earlier, Paul, around APIs and open banking and data fabrics making all of this possible. But I think the, the other piece, again, you know, without the good data, a lot of this is the hyper-personalization comes from the use of AI. But if you don't have good data, again, you know, that's not optimal. So I do think that's both of the points you make are really, really critical here. So let's move on to the, the next question. And um, I think I'll, I'll, ta- I'll address this one to you first, Paul. So the sector has seen competitors 
exceeding through new innovative ecosystems. How important is the role of the bank fintech partnership in creating innovative business models to increase competitiveness? I think it's crucial, Prakash, for, for a number of reasons. I mean, effectively, I, I suspect most banks or, or, or people out there would recognise that you know technology talent is is hard to attract and um, it is kind of you know at a premium in in, in the UK and. Um, Going back to the previous points about agility and, and sort of what a customer wants, um, I think you start from what the customer wants, and you know that, that, that that's you know we, we all think about that. So it really it really starts there. Um, we've we've embraced sort of the fintech in, um, world. Um, not you know we've got core technology that we need to build, but the real differentials out there we look into the fintech environment for because there's you know there's genius out there. They they can move fast. They 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 can work in different ways. So the thesis for us is not just um, about taking a fintech for the technology capability, but I think there's a learning thesis as well about helping um, helping an organisation move faster by learning about the practices that you know typically product-based organisations bring to bear. Um, so, so we've had um, for quite a while now a venturing arm. We've we've looked and partnered with fintechs and invested in fintechs. That started out as like I say a learning thesis. Um, we've increasingly been used that to fill technology capabilities in society for um, for various things like it's well publicised about our payments modernisation we, we're going with Form 3 on we, we, we're looking at we working with companies about things like synthetic data so really problems that we need to solve for the society or for our members fresh ideas have got better roots than we have it is is, is crucial so it, yes I think to read agility to keep evolving at pace to the you know, environment around us where technology changes so fast nowadays. You've got to look to the fintech um, community to um, to support you. The, the key key learning we've had um, in nationwide, and I suspect this is common of most places, is that the onboarding and partnership with fintechs can can, can be sort of locked quite quickly through, you know, procurement processes, risk processes, and so on. About you know, frankly, exchanging data with a, you know a, a third party. So even things like a you know a POC where you want to test out the concept, if you're not careful, you can end up with a three month, four month, uh, if not longer process to onboard the you know the, the POC. So I think the key thing is to is to work out how you can rapidly onboard a fintech to work with them to provide a you know to get get product to market. Otherwise, you just slow down and you lose the creativity of the fintech because the you know the the, the, the sort of incumbent bank can't work at their pace. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I do. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to fintechs, and it's something that they've a number of them have raised just how long those onboarding cycles or sales cycles are. And you know, from a bank point of view, if you want to, to your point, right, if you want to try and be innovative, if it takes you months to onboard, you've lost that window opportunity. But the other thing I think just to add here is I know that I've um, been watching a lot of the reports that have been coming out of the US from the Treasury, but also the PRA, FCA. Now there's increasing awareness of this, and so we think regulations are going to continue to increase um, and the scrutiny of the fintech space because I think they can see them as being very innovative, but also if third parties are uh, increasingly targeting, sorry, bad actors increasingly targeting third parties, right, because of potential vulnerabilities there. So I know that's also a thing. Um, Dan, is there anything you wanted to add on this particular topic before we move on? I, I think Paul's really well eloquently uh, talked that through. I think where I just echo the sentiment of the use of fintechs being a real enabler for banks, but we also have to make it 
viable to use them and I think that as we start to explore things like banking as a service, we can start to partner potentially more with various fintechs and the niche areas that they can deliver much more agile and powerfully into. So it can really deliver a win-win scenario for us. But I think that um, risk and support and governance and control, they're really good pertinent points. That's great. And, and this next question, I'll start with you, Dan. As banks increasingly move towards hybrid multi-cloud strategies and engage with third and fourth parties, building a little bit on this point to drive innovation, how can they ensure they're not introducing or increasing additional risk? I, I think this is going to be one of those areas, Vikash, of governance that really starts to grow out. Banks need to be responsible for their cloud chain no differently than how we deal with sustainability, modern slavery. It's the bank's name at the front door and any partner or third or fourth party can disrupt that it can disrupt what brand recognition has and ruin that quite quickly so we really have to be stringent on this control and it's fair to say that we need to ensure that all of our actors in third and fourth parties are providing a robust set of adherence to bank controls, risk frameworks, and working with the right uh, people in the right way. Um, in the past, I think it's always been the case that perhaps we've treated third parties like public cloud providers to a degree of, well, we have to be incredibly careful about what we can put on that cloud due to the problems of not being able to have a robust a cohesive risk approach that deals with the governance out of companies like uh, the PRA and NIST in America. So that has its own control. Likewise, I think that we also then start to broach out when we were talking about hybrid multi-cloud, about what our SaaS providers look like and what their SaaS background is on uh, the technology that they use. And I think that's where with the work that say IBM are doing with the Cloud Council and to start looking at the workloads of building out platforms that are really dealing with governance and control from the ground up. That becomes a really strong platform for third parties, for fourth parties and fintechs to start using that as a safe, secure playground to start developing on. Knowing that in the fabric of the DNA, there is a PRA, a DORA, compliant standards that are really there from the ground up. And it means for the banks that we can start to build out with a strong understanding that that security requirement, that, that governance requirement, and the reduction of risk is there from the outset. And I think by partnering through the right third parties, working with regulators from the ground up, that starts to really start to address not just the risk factor, but how we can onboard fintechs quicker by giving fintechs a safe and secure place to to go and do their stuff in. And likewise, I think it also future-proofs it. We're going to see as public cloud and private cloud and, and, and hybrid as a whole grows out, the governance, the controls, these are just going to grow out as well. And I think by having a platform where we work hand in hand, both as a forum across financial services with players such as IBM, this is really starting to address that at its 
inception level so that when we start to think about potential workloads that in the past a bank would never have dreamt of putting into a cloud world, now we can put that with confidence into a cloud framework, knowing it is secure, stable, has all of the right controls around it. And that is something that has been agreed and worked on and developed with the regulators for their respective regions. And I think that's a really outstanding starting point to go with. Thanks, Dan. I think, you know, that, that, that point about regulators and working with them from early on, I think is really important. And I know it's something, uh, you know, we've been really keen to do. I know we're nearly um, out of time. Any any final points to add, Paul, before we go to a couple of questions? No, no I echo everything that Dan says there. I mean, I think depending on your situation, I mean, I mean, there's likelihood that you're going to be running a, a, a sort of hybrid environment for quite a while. I know Nationwide will be with on-premise data centers, SaaS, public cloud. So for me, that, that point about embedding the controls into the cloud environment, for example, is key so that, you know, and I know that's where sort of IBM financial services cloud's going and that, you know, the, the knowing that you've got a cloud environment that j- just meets the regula- regulation because it's designed in versus, you know, going back to the previous point, you have to attest to it and get your, your engineers that should be writing code, filling in spreadsheets is, is, is crucial. Secondly, just, the, you know, there are some questions still to be worked through around multi-cloud and, you know, premium workloads and stressed exits that, that, that will require thinking about quite significantly and come with quite heavy sort of engineering um, complexity and therefore costs. So that, that, that still needs to be fully thought through. And, you know, having a single control plane across your, your, your hosting environment is, is key as well so that you can operationally manage something that is, you know, both in your data centers and beyond. I think they're the topics that we're, you know, we're currently wrestling with. And I'm pretty sure that and look at Dan nodding, I'm pretty sure most people, most people are, I suspect. Very much so. So I think let's bring you back to the question about managing the macro. I mean, some of the themes I heard around, you know, comment control planes, observability, a lot of this comes down to you want your developers to be focused on developing, right, and solving problems for the client and not filling out, as you said, spreadsheets and meeting compliance needs. So the more of that you can solve for them, the, the more productive they, they can be. Um, I know in the last couple of minutes, so one of the questions we've got um, and either of you feel free to take it otherwise we can uh, uh, cover it between us how will the evolution of cloud services impact the financial and tech sector and which legal conflicts may occur so i think this is really just talking about maybe some of the legal issues that may occur as, as we get you know further into into cloud but also maybe some of the technology platforms that are out there i don't know if either of you had any wanted to take that one first <laughs> i think it's a really interesting one right i mean Cloud and the ever-growing capability of technology. It's a. I think it's interesting. Just this week, right? We've seen about the um, ask of governments and and OpenAI to st- maybe temper their workloads on the AI front. And it's interesting. I think that we see that now that the recognition of how technology is progressing, but what that means to the consumer and what dangers that could bring but also what good it could bring. I think that when we start to think about how much data the banks historically have had, but maybe not monopolized on, not, not monetized on, certainly we will start to be asked around data types of questions and governance types of questions. That's only going to grow on my previous point. I, you know, I touched on the PRA is only going to grow in its governance of how we do things in the UK, for example. And I think that is only going to grow out more and more. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the, 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 the two points I would make, um, Prakash, are, and this has been well tried for quite a while now, we've obviously got some systemically important sort of in, infrastructure institutions in the United K, be it, you know, telecoms or, you know, national grid to the world. And, you know, it, it, given the footprint the public cloud, for example, is going to have in terms of ultimately the, the banking sort of population of the UK and, and wider that then, you know, there's going to be an interesting journey there about how much regulation that moves them towards a sort of systemically important um, set of companies. That, um, and, you know, obviously being primarily U- uh, US-based, there's going to, you know, there's kind of a narrative to play out there. I think the, um, yeah, that the whole point Dan made, which was really pertinent, was ultimately, you know, we, we lived in a world where we had, you know, two data centers and, you know, it was all within your own scope. Now you've moved to um, a, a more complex environment with um, multi-region, multi-cloud, SaaS, uh, you know, supply chains, three or four, five D. At the end of the day, from a member perspective, if your banking's, if your mobile app's not working, then that's your member, you know, that's the, that's the bank's, the bank fronts that and that's a service you provide to your customers. So it just feels like there's lots of upsides in terms of agility and benefit but the risk position clearly feels like it's got yeah. more complicated and therefore we need to evolve you know to be ahead of that complication as it were yeah no absolutely so look, i know we're coming to the end of our session today it's been a really interesting discussion i'd like to thank you both again or and dan for your time and insights today and also thank the audience for joining us and um, so listen thank you everyone and hope to see you again at the, the next linkedin live goodbye <laughs>